Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Welcome, welcome. You guys are the, the brave few, many, that weathered the cold to get here. I'm impressed. Um, I don't know if you've been enjoying the cold. Probably not. It's, it's real cold outside. Um, it's going to stay that way. But that's okay. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. Wow, I feel like everybody's like sitting way far back. We got like one row of guys and then everyone else is back. That's okay. It's your guys' fault. Um, no, I, I wanted to start off uh, tonight with uh, some research facts. And did you know that according to Robert Putnam, he's a, a Harvard researcher, that if you belong to no groups, groups being like group of people, gatherings, organization type thing, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying in the next year in half. That's insane. There's also another study done that found that group-connected people with unhealthy habits, so people that uh, are smokers or unhealthy diet, heavy drinking, they consistently, consistently outlive disconnected people with otherwise healthy lifestyle habits. That, that's just, in, that's insane to me. That is not what I would expect. And you're probably, hopefully, asking, why are you telling us this? Well, the reason I say that is because I think it reveals something to us. It tells us that deeply ingrained, hardwired into all of us as human beings is the truth that we were made for connectivity. You and I, all of us here, we were made to be with other people. We were made to have other people in our lives. We need other people in our lives. We need friends. And we can see this also in Scripture. If you are familiar, if you look at the first book of the Bible, the very beginning, God is creating everything that we know, his creation, and it's good, and he's creating, and it's good, and he's creating, and it's very good. And then there's something that's not good. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. We see also in Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, in this text, I think, I think we see that it's not good for man to be alone, like we said, but also two are better than one. And, and I think that we say that and we know that, especially tonight as Christians, we can say that because we believe in a creator that in his infinite wisdom designed us 
created us for meaningful community. That's how we are created. And I think that's, that's a truth that I can say, but I think hopefully you and I, you've also felt that truth, right? You felt that longing that you were made to have friendships. You felt that you were made to live in relationship with other people, to live in community with other people. I mean, for a lot of you in college, that's part of the reason why you come to college is to meet friends and make friends and and build lifelong friendships. And yet, there's a problem. And the problem is, is that in Genesis 3, sin enters the conversation. And sin causes a whole bunch of brokenness and dysfunction. It causes it in our relationship with God, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it causes it in our relationship with others and our friendships. A lot of you, maybe, hopefully all of us, not hopefully, but probably all of us in here tonight have felt that, right? We felt that disconnect. We felt that dysfunction in friendships because of sin. What does that look like for you? I know for me, personal example, maybe this is easy. Uh, Some of you may have heard we have a a summer trip uh, to Japan, and so my senior year, after my senior year, I got to go on this trip. Super exciting, super fun. I got to go with one of my really good friends at the time, and this friend that I have that's going on this trip with me, he, he's just super genuine. He's just a really good guy, and yet he's also maybe a little aloof at times or just kind of unaware, and so we get to Japan. We're there. It's our second night. We're exhausted from walking all day long, and we're trying to sleep, but sleep is hard because we're jet lagged because they're 14 hours ahead, and so we want to be sleeping when we should be eating, and we want to be eating when we should be sleeping, and so we're trying to sleep. It's, it's 2 a.m., and I wake up to what sounds like someone has a jar full of marbles, and they're just shaking it, and I wake up, and I am, if you've ever been woken up, I'm instantly upset, to say it politely. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated to find my friend who it's 2 a.m. in Japan. It's noon. It's lunchtime here with his hand in a huge bag of peanut M&Ms as a little midnight snack. Now, what was going through my mind, what was going through my heart was anything but loving and kind and patient. And to be honest, I don't remember exactly what I said, to him in that moment, which is probably a good thing, but it it wasn't nice. It it wasn't the loving thing to do or to say. There was probably a lot of sin in my heart from that. And now we all hopefully probably have stories like that, right, of of lighthearted dysfunctions and, and friendships, but all of us also have maybe some more serious sin and dysfunction in friendships, For some of you, maybe that's with roommates or a roommate, you know. I know for a lot of you, you've probably been living with the same person or people for the last semester, maybe even longer. And some of that dysfunction and sin can be from conflict, anger, frustration with each other that's building in the conflict that that isn't really getting talked about. It's just allowed to fester. And then there's other of you that that sin looks like envy and, and maybe jealousy in your own hearts. And you look at that friend that you have or that person, and you're envious, you're jealous, because 
they got the internship or they got the job or they have the other friends or they have the polished Instagram, they have the relationship. It just seems like they have it all. For some, dysfunction might look like loneliness or sadness due to a lack of friends. And so I don't, I don't want to take this subject, this conversation lightly, because I know for some of you, this is really hard. And this is something that you might feel right now. It seems like what you want and what you desire most is really close friends. And yet it feels like everybody already has their friend group or stinking COVID has just made it so difficult for you to meet and hang out with people. Maybe it just feels like you have this big circle of friends. You look to the outsider like you have all these friends. Life is good, and yet you feel unknown. And what you really want is a little circle of friends. You want this closer group to be known, to be understood by. For others, maybe sin and dysfunction, it leads to gossip. A lot of us have that friend that can be kind of exhausting or, or kind of difficult maybe, and instead of talking to them about it, instead of addressing it, it's super easy to talk to someone else. We're venting to other people what really is not venting. It's actually gossip because it's probably not something you would say or will say to that person. You know, for many of us, we just, we have this expectation with friendships that it's going to be easy and it's going to be energizing and it's going to be fun all the time. And yet, from these examples, I think we know that that's just not the case. That's not how it always is. And, and I know that the, this list of examples that I've told you, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? It's like, man, Justin, if you only knew, and, and you're probably right, but I kind of do know because all of those examples, that, that sinfulness, that dysfunction, that's stuff that I've felt in my own life. I've felt that loneliness, I felt that envy and that jealousy. I felt that frustration. I felt that outsider looking in mentality. And that's all a part of my life because of sin in my own life and dysfunction in my friendships. And so as I was reflecting on this, thinking about this talk, thinking about those examples, there was, there was one common denominator for most, if not all, of the sin involved in these examples. And, and that was selfishness. With my friendships, I, I'm more often than I want to admit, probably more often, more often than I know, looking at my friendships as what can I get out of this? Or what does this person have for me? Or how is this best serving or meeting the needs that I have? And that's why tonight, I don't want you guys to focus on others. I, I want you to challenge that voice in your head that says, oh, that's that friend of mine. And I actually want us to look at ourselves. I, wanna, I want us to look at our own lives. Tonight, I'm not going to give you the way to find the best friend, the way to find the perfect friend. I don't want to show you the perfect friend. I want to help us think about how I can be the friend that I want to have. How can I grow in my ability to be a godly friend for other people. And so to do that, I want us to look at God's word, right? That's, that's where we go. That's where we look for information like this. When we need wisdom, we look in God's word. 
and, and we look at what it says about friendships and, and we strive to be Christ-centered friendships and, and faithful friends to others amidst the sin, amidst the dysfunction that we all feel. So we're going to look at a friendship tonight, and you might be familiar with it, you might not, and it's the friendship of David and Jonathan. And this is going to be a friendship that we see. They're, they're fighting to, Jonathan especially, fighting to be selfless, fighting to be committed in their friendship. So a little bit of context. If you don't know the story of David and Jonathan, totally fine. The David that we're talking about, you might be familiar with David and Goliath. Same David. This is actually the chapter that's immediately following the story of David and Goliath and then his friend Jonathan. So, so David we know about. He's a hot commodity. He's a big deal. He's this warrior with God's people. And then Jonathan. So let's pick it up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. It says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So in our story, we have three characters, right? We've got David, who we've talked about. We've got Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the king of God's people. He's the ruler in charge. And then we've got Jonathan. And Jonathan has this kind of twofold dynamic because we see that he's David's friend, but he's also Saul's son. So he's kind of in this weird middle ground in the relationship. And, and from the get-go, we see this friendship between David and Jonathan. It's so rich. It's got so much rich language of their friendship. It says that uh, Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. It's, it's almost to a point that I, I can't understand it because I don't know if I've ever experienced a friendship that, that is quite like that. And then we see Jonathan, he gave David his, his robe and his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. And if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, I, you kind of lost me a little bit. I don't know what's going on. Well, similar to today where, where clothing indicates or shows someone's significance, back then, even more so. So the clothing that Jonathan had signified, indicated his status. So his status was the future king of Israel. And so when Jonathan is giving David his clothes, he's not just giving him his clothes. It's not just, hey, borrow this sweatshirt. No, he's actually giving him his position that he's supposed to have. Jonathan is handing over to David the robe and the tunic that represent the future king of Israel. And so we ask, why, why does Jonathan do this? Why do we see Jonathan giving what you assume to be his most important position, his most important role to David? And, and we see and we learn that it's because Jonathan knew that God was with David. Jonathan knew that God blessed David. And Jonathan, because of that, he was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to give up his future throne out of his loving friendship to David. And more importantly, out of his faithfulness to God. He's willing 
to be selfless and step aside for the sake of God's plan. This makes me um, think about personally in my own life. Uh, a couple years ago, um, to, uh, to put it lightly, to kind of say, I was just really busy. And I know that's a, a common statement of how you're doing, but I was busy to a whole nother level. And I had school and I, and I had work and, and we bought a house and, and I'm trying to set aside time for, for Haley and I. And in the midst of all this, I don't realize it, but I'm not actually super fun to be around. Um, I don't realize it, and I didn't know, but when I get tired and when I get busy, I have this tendency I'm learning now to, like, put my head down. I kind of focus on the things that I need to get done and what I have to do, and, and I do a really poor job, to put it lightly, of paying attention to the people around me, of focusing on other people. I'm, I'm pretty selfish, and to the point that at, at this time in my life, a couple years ago, I wouldn't have told you that anything was wrong. I would have said, yeah, I'm busy, you know, but I'm doing fine. I'm getting through. Well, <laughs> I actually, thankfully, hindsight, have two friends that also interact with me a lot. And these two friends that also hang out with me, they were also watching me amidst the busyness and amidst the exhaustion, and they didn't see what I see what I saw. You know, they noticed that, that I was irritable. They noticed that I was cranky and that I was really focused on myself and not a good team player and not a good friend. And so what they do, they did something that if you've done this, you realize the selflessness and the sacrifice that it takes. They sat me down. They graciously, gently, and yet firmly had a conversation with me. And they brought this to me, and they told me, hey, man, you're, you don't really seem like you like what you're doing right now. You don't. Something's off. You're, you're not the way that you usually are. And I remember that this was a super difficult conversation for me. And I only imagine that it was a super difficult conversation for them, too, because to set aside your own, their own busyness, their own interests, their own concerns in life, and to be willing to have that kind of conversation with me, like, that's really difficult, and that's really uncomfortable. And they could have just said, no, no, we're going to let him keep doing his own thing. But because they're friends, because they're godly friends, they actually waded into it. They had that conversation with me. They waded into my messiness, into the frustration that was and is my life when it would have been easier for them to just stay in their own lane. And when they did this, it would be foolish to say that I responded well, um, and it would be foolish to say that it was one conversation. No, it was many. And yet they were willing to set aside their own busyness, their own schedule, like I said. They were willing to set aside the uncomfortability of having a really tough conversation with someone you love and they're willing to have that conversation with me. And that conversation was really hard for me at the time, but it was also really amazing because it helped me see something that I didn't see in my own life. And, and I think that the reason they did it is because they loved me as they loved themselves. Just like Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. They knew that godly friendship, it requires selflessness it requires sacrifice. 
It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really hard. And so, like my friends, we can see Jonathan and we can see his friendship with David. It requires a huge sacrifice of Jonathan to give up the throne. And yet, we see that he's willing to. We see that Jonathan is willing to out of his faithfulness to God and his friendship with David. And and it's a beautiful picture of the selflessness that Jonathan has. And and I think it, it has to just make me ask myself, us ask ourselves, is that me? Is that how my friendships look? Would I consider myself selfless? Am I willing to sacrifice what it costs? Are you willing to sacrifice what it costs? Are you willing to sacrifice the time, the energy, the uncomfortability, the money, the whatever it is for the sake of godly friendships? To be candid, to be honest, is that even how you think about friendships? Is that what you look at in being a good friend? Do you think about how you can sacrifice your own needs and wants for the sake of others? Or are you more like me a lot of times focused on yourself? Are you willing to ask yourself if you will be selfless? Maybe for some of you, it's to a certain extent, right? I'll I'll be selfless, right? But I still got to have stuff to do, and, and that's okay at times. But I think it's challenging because, like Kyle said a couple weeks ago, we live in a culture that is so ingrained and so focused on ourselves. It's so ingrained to think about what I need or or what makes me happy in a relationship, in a friendship, what I get out of this friendship, instead of thinking about, no, actually, how can I die to myself? How can I be selfless and sacrifice for the sake of those around me? You see, the, the biblical friendship and the culture friendship, they don't always often look the same. And, and so some of you, it's like, hey, I want to be a godly friend. I'm fighting to be a god, godly friend. I'm imperfect, yes, But maybe it's just taking small steps, right? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Maybe it's when you come home and you've got those roommates, you're exhausted, but hey, take five minutes. Ask that roommate, hey man, how was your day? And then catch her, actually just listen to them. You're not texting, you're not on Snapchat at the same time, you're just listening. You're just investing in them. For some of you, maybe selflessness and sacrifice looks like having that hard conversation like my friends had with me. Maybe going through your mind is that friend that you've had conflict with, and you're like, man, I really need to to seek to have a conversation with them. Patiently, gently, graciously, right? I'm I'm not saying leave here and go attack somebody and start yelling at them. No, that's not selflessness. I'm saying maybe you need to step out of your own comfort zone to be able to have that conversation, to be able to seek reconciliation in that friendship. And, and maybe, for some of you, it's, it's asking for forgiveness. But for all of us, it's a challenge to think less about ourselves and more about those that we're friends with. Think about how we can sacrifice for them. Now, we don't have time tonight to look at all of, of Jonathan and David's story, it would be like three chapters and it would just me, be me up here reading and you don't want that. But if you, if you go back and look at it, what you'd see is that this theme is continuous throughout the story uh, of Jonathan's selflessness, fighting to be selflessness, 
selfless to David. And at the same time, there's an example of what not to do. And that example of what not to do is Saul. It's in Jonathan's dad. Saul is not what we would call a good friend to David. Saul (laughs) is very selfless. He attempts to have David killed multiple times because he sees David as a threat. He sees him as a threat to his future reign as king. And so Saul's attempting to kill David, and Jonathan is, is in this position where he's between both. And so Jonathan is covertly trying to figure out his dad's intentions, Saul's intentions, so that he can go and tell David, right? Jonathan's in this position where he has to go tell David so that David can flee and save his life instead of being killed by Saul. So let's pick up the story because it's really good in chapter 20. It says, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, I will not send you word. Will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends you harm, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of the love for him, because he loved him as himself. Now, I know that there's a ton <clears throat> that we can take away from these verses, but when I was reading this, when I was looking at it, there's, there's just there's this one quality that, that Jonathan has, and I think it's so admirable, and it's, it's the quality of, of Jonathan's commitment. He is so committed to David. He's so committed in their friendship, even to the point that he is willing to take David's place. He is willing to take the place if he lies or if he breaks the word that he has kept with David. Why? Well, <clears throat> once again, it's out of his faithfulness to God and it's out of his friendship with David. And when I was looking at this, this, this is one of those examples of commitment that, that I was just convicted that I don't really feel in my own life. Um, so as an example of what not to do, I, I have a friend and he lives in Colorado. And so we don't really get to see each other a ton, but we catch up over the phone. And, uh, I, I don't really like talking over the phone. Just, that's just me. Um, I'm not good at it. And so my friend and I, over the past couple months, we'll, we'll text and say, hey man, when are you free? And we'll set a time to catch up. But when we get to that time, especially the last couple of times, I find myself, uh, I'm, I'm really busy or, man, I'm just, I'm kind of tired. I don't really have energy for this right now. I, I tell him I'm going to call him. I tell him I'm going to be there. I'm going to answer his call. And yet when he calls or when it's my turn to call, I don't follow through with my word. I'm not committed to the friendship to the point that when I was looking at these verses, I texted him and apologized. But when I texted him, I realized my last text to him was the same apology that I was about to send. 
I'm sorry for not being committed. <laughs> what, what worse or better way to show my lack of commitment in a friendship than to realize that the last two times I've texted him, I've had to apologize because I'm not keeping my word. And, and I think for a, a lot of us with phones today, it's super easy for us to not be committed to our word. We tell someone we'll call them, but we don't feel like it. We're supposed to meet up with, for lunch or study, and something else comes up. And, and so we just text them and say, hey, next time. We cancel last minute all the time. And now I wish I could say that this is a phone problem, but it's not a phone problem. It's an us problem. More importantly than an us problem, it's a sin problem. We've gotten so used to, I think I've gotten so used to saying something and not following through that my relationships, they're really not about commitment. They don't really hold the same commitment that David and Jonathan had for each other. Now, I know that things pop up. I know that we have emergencies and that we can't always be there, and that's okay. I'm not saying that, but if you think about it, if you ask yourself, are, are you committed? Do you look at your friendships and, and would you identify yourself as someone who sticks to their word? Are you like Jonathan and David in their friendship? Because being faithful and being a godly friend, it means being committed to people. It means holding our word when we tell them. And, and that's really hard for us today because it requires selflessness. It requires sacrifice, and it's costly to us. It requires commitment in and through the dysfunction that sin brings in our lives. It means holding our word when someone texts us and gives us a better option. It means staying committed when we just feel kind of tired. It means sometimes putting aside those feelings and being willing to sit down with the friend that, ah, maybe we just don't really want to right now. And I think that the reason that we can do that and the reason that we can be this type of friend, this type of friend that's selfless, that's sacrificial, that's committed to their friendships is because that's exactly what God has done in his friendship, his relationship with us. God is fully and perfectly committed to his people God is the one that we see time and time again being selfless, being sacrificial. If you look at Jesus' life, death, resurrection, you see this ring true over and over and over what he is willing to sacrifice for those who believe in him. And he calls us to intimate, to intim, what's the word? He calls us to mimic him, sorry, and be that same kind of friend. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow his example. And, and Jesus' friendships, they were countercultural. And so us too, our friendships should be countercultural in the way that they're not focused on ourselves, but they're focused on those that we're spending time with. Because godly friendships, they're faithful, and they're striving to die to ourselves, to be selfless and committed, unlike the norm that is today. And so... I just want to close with this. As the music team comes back up, I just want to leave you with something that Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus tells us 
that the greatest love that we can show for our friends is the ultimate sacrifice. And he tells us that, and he has the weight to tell us that because he says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus tells us, be sacrificial, be selfless, be committed, because that's exactly what I have done in my relationship with you. And I have done that fully, and I have done that perfectly in a way that frees you to love others in the same way in a way that challenges us to love others in exactly the same way, the same way that Jesus loves you and me. He is, he was, and is fully selfless and sacrificial and committed to us. And that frees us, that allows us to do that for our friends. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.